I've tried to explain that that there are problems um, in in studying the book of Daniel from a from a prophetic viewpoint, millennial prophetic viewpoint. And there are problems with regard to that, and we have already acknowledged those. And there are problems for those who do not believe in a millennium. And uh, those are called amillennialists, if you're looking for a title for them. And there are problems with that view of eschatology. And so I've been t- teaching from Daniel from the biblical, prophetic, millennial viewpoint. And must tell you that there are problems uh, in interpretation of it. Now we come to chapter 12, the end of the book. All's well that ends well is a familiar saying. I like endings that are happy, don't you? And to me, a good ending is a happy ending. And some endings of stories and movies, just they just don't turn out right. And you've all had the experience from one time or another where you were watching some show, maybe a, a movie on television or an or a, a hour-long uh, drama, and all of a sudden they start running the credits up on the screen, and you kind of look at your spouse and say, is that the end? I mean, haven't you said that? I mean, this couldn't be the end. This didn't turn out right. Hardly anything ever does. I'm not, a, I'm not a fatalist when I say to you tonight that hardly anything in life turns out exactly like you planned it or exactly like you thought it should happen or turn out. You see, really, the, the key to life is not what happens to you or what does not happen to you. The key to life is how you respond to what happens to you. Because things don't really always turn out what we would say are right from our perspective. And so we come to the end of the book of Daniel. You're not going to like the end. Because what you're going to do when, you, when we close this book of Daniel, and you're going to look at your spouse or somebody near you and say, Is that all? Is that it? You know, this is not the end, is it? Because it closes without a lot of questions answered and without a lot of problems solved, and a lot of things that you expect to find in the book of Daniel as a a complete answer that will help you understand eschatology, you'll not find here. The end of this book is an anguishing end. Let's just get into it in chapter 12, verse 1. Now, at that time, what time? It's unfortunate that, um, that... The divisions that we have in the Bible are sometimes really uh, inappropriate divisions. You do know that when the Bible was written, there were no breaks at all anywhere. This one continuous manuscript. And there were no chapter divisions. As a matter of fact, there were no verse divisions. And in the passing of the text down through the centuries, somebody did make divisions, chapter divisions. It's unfortunate that the division of chapter 12 is where it is because it really should not be there. It should not, there should not be a division, a, a, a demarcation between chapter 11 and the last verse, which is 45, and the first verse of chapter 12. Because the first verse of chapter 12 just is a finger pointing back to what he's talking about in the last verse of chapter 11. So the time we're talking about is this future time. It's the time of the great 
what some call the Great Tribulation. The time of great distress, a time of bloodshed, a time of martyrdom, a time of the Antichrist, a time of the end. And that's what he's talking about at the end of chapter 11. At that time, chapter 12 begins. He's pointing back to the time of great distress and persecution and martyrdom and bloodshed. There are two objects in this, direct objects. One is the angel Michael, and the other object that is discussed is a people called the people of God, or the sons of your people. Now, the people of God could either be Jews, or they could be the new Jews. I believe it's the new Israel. Because if you turn to chapter 4 of the book of Romans, you'll find that that the people of God are those who, you know, not just those who have Abraham's ancestry. They are those who have Abraham's faith. So that the people of God are all those who have professed the same faith that Abraham professed when he went out, when he, when he believed God, when he trusted God, and later went out not knowing where he was going. So the people of God that he refers to here are the people of faith. Two thoughts about the angel Michael. He stands guard over the sons of your people, it says. Stands guard over them. But he also says that he becomes actively involved in providing an umbrella of protection over these people of God. So that not only is he passively standing guard, but he arises and he becomes aggressive. He becomes active in providing an umbrella of protection over a certain remnant of people that Daniel talks about later. So he's getting a little glimpse into what is happening in heaven. For there is Michael, the, arch, the angel, guarding a remnant, a remnant, and he rises to protect this body of people during this time of tribulation, distress, bloodshed, and death. What is the condition on the earth at this time? It is a time of distress, he says in verse 1, such as has never seen before. Now the world has seen a lot of times of distress. I went up to the TV room just a minute ago to see who was up there and how much coffee I could drink before the service. And somebody had on 60 Minutes. It was, a, it was a, a segment this woman was uh, bringing on 60 Minutes from the, from the refugee camps in the, in the mountains of northern Iraq. Graphic scenes of children dying. As many as 250 babies a day dying in this one refugee camp. It's a, a slum grew up overnight. And the stench, this woman said, is absolutely breathtakingly terrible and and, and if you've seen any of these clips that have come out of these refugee camps, you must have said to yourself, there could be nothing as terrible as that. I, I, can't hard, I can hardly even watch it on, you know, when it comes on. I've heard some people uh, give testimonies of being involved at the end of, of World War II in the breaking down of the, of the concentration camps and, and Dachau and Auschwitz. And the description of those concentration camps are more than the mind could even imagine. How people could treat one another, treat others like that. The, 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 the conditions were absolutely unbearably horrible. But if you take the book of Daniel literally, and 
Sometimes I think it is important to take the Bible literally. In fact, I think it always is important. Then this time that is yet to come will be such a time that has never been seen before in the history of the world. And the condition of this time will be such that it has never even entered the mind of man to imagine it. Now Michael remembers that there is a certain people that he's going to protect or rescue. And these, he says in verse 1, are the people who are found written in the book. Now what is this book he's talking about? Well, let's go to that, uh, you know, let's use the R word and get over in the book of Revelation just for a second. The, the Revelation. I want you to turn in the Revelation to chapter 20. Now keep your place in Daniel. And we're going to look at a few verses in chapter 20 just to get, um, you know, get defined, get identified what is this book he's talking about. I'm going to begin reading in chapter 20 ver at verse 12. As soon as the last page stops rustling and we get there, we'll read it. You need to be turning to that. You got it, don't you? Got it. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. And books were opened, plural. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now I want to see if I can help you to see what's happening here. Somewhere in the future, in the universe, there is this, out in space, there is this great white throne, judgment. The Lord sits in judgment over the nations of the world. And there are books, plural, and there is the book called the book of life. And he turns in this book of life and he says, he says that if your name is not found written in the book of life, those people are cast into the lake of fire. That book of life is the chronicle of the people who have been redeemed. We all know that. I'm just reminding you of something you've heard ever since you were a child. This book of life contains the names of everyone who knows Christ, who owns Christ. And everyone who has been redeemed or saved or born again, however, whatever you want to use there, everyone who knows Jesus Christ as His Lord and Savior is written in that book and not a name is missing, not a name is lost. Now, back, back to uh, Daniel. He says that Michael is going to protect those whose names are found in the book of life. I take it that those that he's talking about in the time of the tribulation, those who are alive, whose names are found written in the book. Now, if you are a pre-tribulation rapturist, now that's a big term, but it means this. If you're one of those who believes that the church will be raptured up out of the earth, that the believers will be raptured up out of the earth prior 
to the tribulation, or at least prior to the last three, last half of the tribulation, you're going to use this as evidence of your belief. And what he's talking about is that, that Michael, the, the, that God lifts up out of the, out of the earth prior to the tribulation, prior to this time of great distress, those who have saved alive on earth at that time. A number of years ago, a man by the name of Ladd came out with a book called The Blessed Hope. And Ladd is a, is a, is a millennialist. He is a premillennialist. He believes, however, he's called a historical premillennialist. These terms mean absolutely nothing to you. But he believes, does Ladd, that the church will go through the tribulation, that the Christians will be in the tribulation. And what this means is that they will be spared or they'll be kept. They'll not perish in the tribulation. Take your pick. Then he says that those, the many who sleep in the dust. Now, unless you believe in a partial resurrection, you believe now that he's moved to the time that the Lord returns to the earth from heaven and the resurrection of the dead occurs. And you will translate that as though it were saying, and the many who sleep in the dust of the earth will be raised. And he describes what happens there. Uh, many who are asleep in the dust of the earth will awake these to everlasting life, to others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Now, I want us to come to verse 5. And there is this dialogue that occurs there in verse 5. Let me read it. In fact, I want to read all the way through and then we'll come back. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others were standing, one on this bank of the river, the other on that bank of the river. And one said to, the man, said to the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river, How long will it be until the end of these wonders? And I heard the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river as he raised his right hand and his left toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and a half a time. And as soon as they finished shattering the power of the holy people, all these events will be removed, be completed. As for me, I heard but could not understand. So I said, my Lord, what will be the outcome of these events? And he said, go your way, Daniel, for these words are concealed and sealed up until the end time. Many will be purged, purified, and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly. None of the wicked will understand, but those who have insight will understand. And from that time, from the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. How blessed is he who keeps waiting and attains to the 1,335 days. But as for you, go your way to the end. Then you will enter into rest and rise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. Now there's this, this dialogue between Daniel and two angels. Now who are these two angels? We don't know their names. We don't know who they are. But we assume one of them is the Son of God, is the Lord Himself. I'm talking about Jesus, you know. Now there are some people who may uh, believe, who you know, who who misunderstand and believe that Jesus didn't come into being until Bethlehem, but He had always been. He's co-equal and co-eternal with the Father. And there were times in the Old Testament when our Lord appeared, pre-incarnation appearance. It's called a theophany. 
He appeared to Abraham, you remember? When those messengers came into the city. He appeared to Jacob. He, he appeared many times. So one of these men, dressed in white, above the waters of the river, the man in linen, perhaps, is our Lord Himself. Let me, I just thought about an experience I had when I was a young preacher. Um, can I share this with you? Well, I will. Go ahead, anyway. I was passing this little church out in West Texas called Macaulay Baptist Church at my first church out of college. And this little boy in this town had leukemia. In fact, he became a poster child in Abilene. He died with leukemia. Took, he, he, he suffered for years with leukemia. He's kind of a, you know, he got in the newspapers. One of these deals that people uh, adopted all over the nation, really. This little boy, his parents were members of another church, another denomination, not Baptist. But I knew him a little town about little community about the size of Blue, Oklahoma. So everybody knew everybody, and I was kind of the pastor of the town. They didn't have a, any, about any other pastor in the town, really. Once a little boy died, I went to see his mother. And this was her story. She said, you know, the last days that um, Bobby, or whatever his name was, I don't even remember his name, lived. The last days were horrible, she said. He'd go into seizures, he would have delirium. And uh, she said he would see visions and see things and frighten. It was frightening. But she said, you know, just before he died, he got just as calm. And he said to me in a calm voice, he said, Mother, I'm standing in a river and the water is up to my neck. But she said, Mother, there is a man dressed in a white robe on the other side of the river. And there's a whole bunch of little children around him playing. And he's asked me if I'd like to come over and play a while. And then he died. Standing above the waters of the river are these angels. One of them, the Son of God Himself. Now Daniel has two questions. The first question is found in verse 6, and the question is, how long is this going to last? Now you need to notice, you need to know that he's not asking, how long is it going to be till the end of the world? He's asking, how long is this tribulation going to last? How long is the, are these wonders going to happen? How long is this suffering going to be? And the second question is found in verse 8, and that question is, what will be the result of all of this? A question, questions that you and I have often asked. How long is this going to, how, how long is this going on? And what will be the end result of all of this? That's the question, the questions that haunt us all. My friend's writing that book and I have sent it, had handed out this questionnaire to some of you about the five questions you'd ask God if you could ask Him any five questions. Have you written yours out? By the way, I need those back. Shut <laughs> them back in. My friend needs them to write his book. I've looked over every one of the sheets you've turned in. You know the dominant question, don't you? The dominant questions are, how long is this suffering going on and why? What is the result? What is the result? What's, this, what's, going, what's going to be the result? One has to do with time, the other has to do with, with, with effect. And it's the same question that Habakkuk asked. And when he asked a question, God said, Okay, I'm going to tell you, but you're not going to believe it when I tell you. You're going to be better off not knowing what the answer is. 
there's some things you're just better off not knowing the answer to, right? And when he told him, blew his, blew Habakkuk's mind. You remember that? That's another sum. Notice what he says in verse 7. He says, This tribulation is going to endure until the crushing of the will of stubborn people. Until the crushing of the will of stubborn people. Then he tells the time. Now, in prophetic literature, the term time is a term that refers to year. So he says time, times, and a half a time. So it's three and a half years. Got a problem here. For in that day, the calendar was 360 days. If you multiply that by three and a half years, you get 1,260. But he says 1,290. What happened? Were those... What about that other 30 days? I'm going to give you the best answer I can give you. I don't know. <laughs> it's the best. Leupold, the great German theologian, says that, that there's no way to understand that except this is pure speculation. It's not inspired by the Holy Spirit. But Leupold says you might speculate that when he talks about that great last battle that's fought in the plain of Megiddo, a hundred miles long, blood to the bridle of the horses. He says it's going to take 30 days at least to clean up the mess. And then he adds 40 more, what is it, 45 more days to that. So you get 75 extra days here. And says, Leupold, the only answer I have to that is that it takes 30 days to clean up the mess and the other 45 to get the new government in place. Sounds good enough for me. Now Daniel asked the question, what is going to be the result of this? And God gives him the answer in verse 8, don't worry about it. You know what? Now watch this carefully. You come down to the end, and I've wanted to say this from the first night, but I waited till the end. You come down to the end of the book of Daniel, and this is the bottom line to the whole problem of, of uh, biblical prophecy. The bottom line is, don't go to seed on biblical prophecy. And don't get so caught up in in trying to figure out what's going to happen in some future day that you miss today. That's what he said. Go on your way. Get on with the business of life because this is sealed up in a book and there are no answers for you. You know what I'm saying? I know some people who spend most of their time trying to figure out what's going to happen in the, event, in the events of the end and miss the responsibility of today. I mean, they're found in the Bible. I want you to turn quickly to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Second chapter, uh, Second Thessalonians chapter three. I want to read, beginning at verse um, ten. Let me give you a little background here. These people were so elated and so caught up in the fact of the Lord's return that they just quit working. I mean, the Lord's coming back tomorrow. I mean, why work today? You see. If he's going to come back Friday, I'm going to take the week off. That's, a, that's their idea. And he says in verse 10, For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order, If anyone will not work, neither let him eat. For we bear that some among you are leading undisciplined life, an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. 
Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. And what he's saying is, you people who are thinking only thinking about the Lord's return and you've quit work, get on back to work. It's happened in history. William Miller the Adventist, after a long period of studying the Bible, came to the conclusion that on March the 21st, 1843, the Lord was coming back. Somewhere between March the 21st, 1843, and March the 21st, 1844, the Lord was coming back. They went out on a high hill to meet Him. When the sun went down on March the 21st, and six days after that, to March the 21st, 1944, they finally decided they must have gotten the date wrong. And so they went back and they came up with a new date, October the 22nd, 1944. And they were so certain the Lord was going to come back on that day that five, as many as from 50 to 100,000 people gave up all of their possessions, deeded all their land away, and waited on a high hill for the Lord to return. And of course He didn't. And they went away from there, some of them never to go back to Adventism, and many never to go back to religion again. You remember the 1970s when we got all worked up over the survival training? I got some friends in West Texas that have a basement full of food and survival equipment for the end of the world. Well, what is the application? I want to hurry and then we're out of here. I want to give three general applications... And then I want to give three applications as it relates to the whole book. Okay? Number one. Find these, this application as it relates to the first four verses, really, of chapter 12. Number one. Men honor the famous and soon forget. But God honors the unknown and never forgets them. I tell you, it's glorious that there's some big book somewhere that's got your name in it. One of the most exciting days of my life was to go into, a, uh, when I was in Cambridge, England, I went out to a, 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 a memorial that's been established for all of the American soldiers that were killed in World War II. And I went out to Cambridge, England, and I walked into this place, and I walked up to there, this huge memorial, and I started at the T's, and I went down until I found private first class Ralph LaVon Tidwell. Found his name. Let me tell you something. One of these days, the great finger of God is going to move down the list. Find your name. I used to tell you the starting, every starting, starter on the world champion Green Bay Packer football team. Every single one of them. About only two I remember now. Bart Starr and Paul Harnick. How we forget the famous. God never forgets the unknown. Second, men give their rewards now. God saves His for the last and you've heard this oft-told story about the missionaries coming back on the same boat that Teddy Roosevelt was on, coming back from a safari in Africa. 
And when they landed in a harbor in New York City, there was this brass band there and all these banners welcoming back Teddy Roosevelt, having been gone for about a month. And the old missionary, you know, looked over at his wife. Nobody there to greet them. They'd been down in Africa serving a lifetime and nobody there to welcome, no brass band, no, 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 no banners. And the old missionary turned to his wife and said, Is it kind of sad that when we get home, there's nobody here to greet us? And she said, Honey, we're not home yet. The world gives its rewards now. God gives His later. Third, man's methods are always connected with time, God's with eternity. So that what you do and I do is related to time, to years, three time, times and a half time, but God's methods are related to eternity. Now, how is all of this going to come out? I don't know. It's all shut up in a book. Let me tell you, however it comes out, it's going to come out like God planned it in eternity past. All right, three general applications. I love these. You may not be that impressed, but I like them. Number one, more time you spend with God the more teachable you become. The more time you spend with God, the more teachable you become. Now, the impressive thing about Daniel is that we have found him on his knees with the scroll. And he's in this scroll, and he's at the prophecy of Jeremiah. And here is this prophet of God, taken when he was 14 years old, out into Babylonian captivity, and he's on his knees before God in the scroll. And the more he knows the more teachable he is. All right, second. The more questions we ask, the more dependent we become. Don't be afraid to ask the question, how's this going to turn out? Don't be afraid to ask the question, why is this happening to me? That's not a bad question. Because the more you ask why, watch this, the more you discover how dependent you are upon God. The more you ask, how is this going to come out? The more you understand that you don't know how it's going to come out, the more you need to depend on God. That makes sense? Number three, the more truth we discover the more profound the truth is. You know, the more I study the Bible, the more I discover how little I know of it. You know, I taught from the book of Romans. I thought I knew something about the book of Romans. The longer I taught in the book of Romans, the more I discovered how much I don't know about it. And I, 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 I'm telling you, I, I, did, I made this discovery not long ago. The more I know about prayer, the less I know about it. And it seems that every time you open a door to some truth, that there are two more doors ready to be opened. And the more you discover, the more profound it is. And so as you get into the Word, 
and you study these deep and difficult books, the more you are convinced this is God's Word, too profound for man, His thoughts that much higher than ours. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You that You've not allowed us to live in this life without some word from Thee. And although we hear the ominous and frightening sounds that the world is yet to see the distress it will endure, in the same breath you remind us that you know us by name and we'll be okay. And as we pass through the fire, the more we're reminded there is someone there to keep us. Oh, thank you, Lord, for the sheltering, protecting arms of God on whom and in whom we rest both today and tomorrow till the rivers and the valleys run with blood. Even then we rest our lives on Thee. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, whose name we pray.